good. Okay, here we go. You starting already? Yeah. So I should be quiet? Welcome tonight and thank you for joining. This is a very unique experience for me, so I hope it works out well and I hope, it's, I hope it does good tonight. First of all, I just want to give a few, announce, a few short announcements and then we'll begin. Really our goal here is to get back to somewhat of our regular routine, which is why we want to go back to Wednesdays, which is when we always used to give our class. And just at night, because now the homes are pretty active during the day. We want to thank iTorah for all that they've done to spread Torah across the community. You've done an unbelievable job for decades, and all of our classes are always archived on iTorah. And we're honored tonight to be streaming on iTorah. And Bizrat Hashem, anyone who misses the class tonight, within an hour after the class is over, it will, be, it will be uploaded and it will be recorded. And I cho we chose tonight to do it in the house because I hope it's a little more settling. Maybe you've seen videos that we've done from my office, but the office has a little bit of a serious tone. And so we chose to do it down here in the living room because it's a little more relaxed. And our message tonight, I hope, will be something that really is relevant for any time of the year or any stage of whatever we're going through. But of course, it's within the setting of what we're dealing with tonight. And finally, if there's any technical difficulties, I've never done this before, stream the class live from my own home, so if there is any technical difficulties, we have a mechanism to find out right away and Bezat Hashem will fix it on the spot. And you know, we introduced something last night and a number of people were curious about it and then we will begin. Um, this idea, we have some families who want to have a class just for their own family. So at Kesher, our organization that we run, we've set this up where a family can choose a rabbi, a rabbi that fits perfectly with them. 
where you can get a class zoomed into your home for you. For, usually we take young adults and you could get your parents involved, you get your siblings involved, and it could become a cute thing for your family. And the email address is Kesher Family, that's K-E-S-H-E-R Family at gmail.com. All you need to know is you could send an email right now and request a special class for free once a week, 20 minutes per cowboy, just for you and your parents or you and your children or even you and your siblings that are outside of the home. It's been, we've had fantastic feedback. And of course, the initiative that we announced last week, Torah reminds people are asking. The registration as of now is closed. If you want to ask further requests, you could go to the website and contact us. Now we're ready to begin. And like I said, thank you so much for joining. Is there, here's my question tonight. Is there such a thing as too much as too much inspiration. Is there such a thing as too much inspiration? Is it possible? And my answer is yes. There is such a thing as too much inspiration. No, there's no such thing as too much Torah, and there's no such thing as too many classes, but there is such a thing as too much inspiration, and we're gonna explain why. I wanna capture what happened over the past few weeks to our life. Just briefly. On the night after Purim is when the night the world really changed. There were rumblings before, but it was Wednesday, March 11th, where schools started to close, schools began to close, and within a week, every business, every shul, every school in our entire community was shut down. All weddings were brought to almost a halt. 15 or 20 people. It took about a week. And there was chaos. There was a lot of sadness. And then the holidays came and our life has become unbelievably helter-skelter because all stability has been gone. Everything we're used to, we don't have anymore. You know, they describe Noah and the Teva. It's always described this way. What is Noah and the Teva? They always tell you, Noah and Teva, you had to feed every animal at every time of the day. And he was up and down early in the morning, late in the afternoon. Animals needed to be fed three times a day, two times a day, one, eight times a day, running up and down and all around the Teva. And that's what his life was like. You know what? There's a lot of us that feel exactly like Noah and the Teva. We're stuck in our home. We can barely leave. It's been overcast almost for seven weeks straight. It's exactly seven weeks from that Wednesday night till today. Seven weeks straight. Basically, life feels like, like this. Like standing on one leg, trying to get everything that you could get done in one shot. I gave a small class to a woman the other night over Zoom and, I, and, young, and young adult girls. And I asked them, what are you feeling most right now? And I'll give you a little list of what they said. Some said anxiety. Others said criticism from everybody. I'm doing this right. I'm doing that wrong. Others said it's so hard to be patient because there's so many people like in my house that I have to live with. Other ones said I feel so unproductive. Someone else said I feel like I have to work in order to be busy. The other one said just the opposite. I feel like I'm too busy. Someone else said I have to work on staying calm. Someone else said I have to work on waking up early in the morning. 
And someone else said, I feel so nervous because I have no idea what will happen. Because the reality is, we have no idea when life's going to become back what we used to. So for you, I want to read a Mishnah and Pekavot. During this time between Pesach and Shavuot, this is what we do. We focus on Pekavot. We chose a Mishnah from the third chapter. And the Mishnah is, as we, I'm going to read to you the Mishnah, I'll tell you over the Mishnah, and it's, and it's simple explanation, it's going to sound very harsh. So please, give me a minute. Here we go. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, and tonight's class is going to be about a normal amount of time, it should end about 8.40, Rabbi Eliezer Ishbar Torta Omer, Rabbi Eliezer used to say, excuse me, Rabbi Shimon Ben Yaakov Omer, or some say Rabbi Yaakov Omer, HaMehalech Baderech, if someone's traveling on the road, and he's learning while he's on the road. So picture someone who's in the back of a bus and they're sitting in the bus. They have a sefer open. Maybe it's a Gemara or a Chumash or maybe it's a book in English that they're learning and they're studying in the back of the bus. And in the middle, he stops from his learning and he sees a tree outside the window and he says, Wow, this tree is gorgeous. Or he sees a field that's plowed well, and he says, look how well this field is plowed. Says the Mishnah in its conclusion, that person, the Torah, considers it as if he ha- he's chayav b'nafshoh, it's as if he's deserving of mitah, of not having his life. Whoa. And what does this Mishnah mean? So I understand it's in simplest form. The Mishnah is saying, you're middle studying Torah, don't interrupt for anything. Because Torah is so valuable. But the Mishnah sounds extra harsh. And I have a whole bunch of questions on it. Number one, you're telling me if a person picks up his book and notices a tree and says, wow, these orchids are beautiful. You say that, now a person ha- is, doesn't deserve to live. I mean, that's crazy harsh doesn't sound right because it feels like everybody we've known has done that in their life. So how could you say that? My next question is, I understand the Mishnah's case when you say that a person sees a tree and he comments on how beautiful the tree is. But who's commenting about how beautiful a field that's plowed is? Did you ever pass by a plowed field and say, wow, that's gorgeous? I can think of a thousand other things that are beautiful ahead of a plowed field. And then the Mishnah says, if I'm studying while I'm on the road, how about if I'm studying and I'm not on the road? How about if I'm sitting down on my table and I'm studying and I stop and I get interrupted by something? Why only while I'm studying on the road? And finally, why does the Mishnah say, Vishoneh, and he's learning? How about if I just waste my time before I'm learning? How about if I never open the book? Is that better or worse? If I never open the book, Maybe that's even worse than someone who's learning and stops to notice a tree. So again, I have four questions. Why is the punishment so harsh? Why would anyone ever notice the plowed field? Why is it specific when I'm on the road? And why is it only once I'm learning? Why can't it be before I'm learning? If I didn't learn altogether. So we're going to explain this Mishnah and I believe we're going to give you a beautiful interpretation. One that is so relevant to your life on any day of the year and at any stage in your life, but unbelievably relevant right now. Let me tell you the problem we have right now. The problem is that we're used to life, we're used to things being normal. 
we have in our mind a word called normal. And the normal gives us a little sense of stability. Because I feel good when I know it's normal. Every day I know the sun is going to rise in the morning and it's going to set at night. So it's, that's normal. I know that I have my house. I know I have a job. I know I have my car. I know what my basically normal routine is on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Shabbat. I have normal life as normal. I know I get invitations in the mail. I put them in my phone. I get scheduled to go to a wedding. Life as normal. A lot of people are living every now and then. Someone sadly passed away. I pay a shiva call. Normal life. We know what normal life is. You pray three times a day. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We know normal. Now, right now, if you would look up in the dictionary, normal, the definition, it'll say in the definition, TBD, to be determined. We have no idea what normal is, and we have no idea what normal is going to be. Here's my question for you. Do you know when's going to be the next time that I could go to a wedding and hug the groom? I want to know. Is it going to be in a week? In a month? In a year? Will it be in 10 years? I'm just wondering. When am I going to be able to have, be in a shul that's jam-packed with people? I have no idea. So when normal is so unstable, you know what ends up happening when we have no normal? What ends up happening is, I keep jumping to just what other people are saying, other people are doing. Oh, this person visited, I should visit. Oh, this, oh, my kid needs breakfast, my kid needs lunch, my kid needs a snack, my kid needs dinner, my kid needs a snack after dinner, my kid needs a snack before they go to bed, they need a snack when they wake up, they need a snack. My kid needs this, the other one, my husband needs this, I need to run to my job for this, I gotta get on the Zoom, gotta get off the Zoom, gotta get back on the Zoom, back off the Zoom. And what happens is we're just looking at everybody else. What's everybody else doing? Not because we're comparing ourselves to others, not because we're judging others, but we're just trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. So we say, oh wow, that person went in a car. Maybe we're allowed to go in a car. That person went to a store. I guess now we're allowed to go to a store. Or maybe we're not allowed to go to a store. Maybe they only went to that store. We're trying to figure out how to create some stability and how to create normalcy. And the only way we could do it is looking at other people and seeing what they're doing and say, oh, maybe that's what I'm allowed to do. Oh, you're going to work. Maybe I could go to work. Oh, you're zooming I too. Maybe I'm on the phone, you're on the phone. Here's what we need. And we need it now more than we've ever done. But the truth is, we need it at every stage of our life. We need our own road. You need to create your own road. Your path. Your mentality. Your path. Your mindset in life. Your own road road. If you have a road, and we're going to talk about later how to create that road, but if you have your own road, you won't be pulled in every direction because you'll have a road and your job in life is to create a road, a road of growth, a road that works for you, a road that makes you stronger, a road that gives you confidence, your road, and stick to the road. That's why sometimes too much inspiration isn't so great. Because sometimes when there's so much inspiration, you're like bouncing off a wall. This one said work on Lashon This said work on medicine. This said work on praying. This one said I should work on my family. I work on my marriage. Work on my children. Work on, work on chesed. Work on tzedakah. Work on charity. Work on patience. Work on anger. Oh, wow. 
you need a road. And when you have a road and you feel good about that road, then you feel confident to stick to it. And watch how the Mishnah is perfect. Rabbi Yaakov is saying this, someone who's traveling through the road of life, and he's learning, doesn't mean he's, doesn't just mean he's learning Torah. It means that too, but it means also this. It means he's growing from one stage to another. He's growing through his experiences. And now, he stops and he interrupts his path and his growth. And he comments about a tree. And he says, wow, I'm inspired by that. Or, or he comments about a plowed field. You know what a plowed field is? Look what someone else is doing. Look what they're deciding to do. Look at their path. Look at their growth. Look at their plowing. Why do you plow a field in order for it to grow in that field? And you're looking at someone else's, says the Mishnah, your life isn't worth living. Because you helped the skelter. You're all over the place. You have no stability. You have no clarity. Your brain is chaos. Create a road and stick to it. Don't look at someone else's road. Don't think someone else knows how to do it better. Trust me, everybody's clueless. Young people, middle age, older people, even a lot of learned people have no idea. Don't look at someone else's plowed field. Don't look at someone else's road and figure out how to create your direction. Let me give you a very real example. So one of the things I do sometimes when I need a little break at night is I read. So there's this book I read for the last little while. It's written by the CEO of Nike, Phil Knight. And he talks about how Nike began as a little idea in 1962, right after he graduated college. And the whole book is focused on the next 20 years till about 1980 and how he built the company into what it was. It's a fascinating book. There's a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of up and down and peaks and valleys and he failed and he succeeded and failed and succeeded. It's unbelievable. But the whole time you're reading the book and you say to yourself, the one thing that calms you down about this book is you know the ending. You know Nike becomes unbelievably successful. You know they become one of the top companies in the world. You know he becomes one of the wealthiest people in the world. So you're like, okay, this is a book of how to succeed in life. That's what you're in the back of your mind. That's what you're reading in the book the whole time. So you keep looking at him like, wow, this is the way to succeed. This is the way to succeed. This characteristic, this is the way to succeed. This is the way to succeed. The whole time, beats the valleys. And you go through the whole thing. He finds a wife. He gets married. He has his first son. He has his second son. The company goes bankrupt. Almost goes bankrupt. The banks pull out. Every peak and valley of the story. Wow. Basically ends in 1980. And then it has like an epilogue. 1980, they go public. And they start making a lot of money. He tells a little story of how he met in like a movie theater or something, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. And he's having a conversation. So you think about that conversation like, wow, that's a man who made it. He says, at the time of that conversation, I was worth $10 billion. This is a man who started a company on a loan from his father for like $1,000. He's worth $10 billion. You're like, wow, this book is exactly what I expected it to be. 
This is the road. This is the way to plow your field, to get to achieve what you want. And then there's one page. Where he says, at some point around the year 2000, I forgot the year, he was also in the movie theater with his wife. And his second son comes into the theater and pulls him over and says, come outside. He and his wife go outside in the middle of the movie. He says, what is it? He says, my older brother, Matthew, your oldest son, was in a, was diving with friends on some ocean somewhere and he never came out. So I'm looking at this, reading this book the whole time, thinking this is the road to success. Yet the man's ultimate achievement was he has two sons and he lost one. So stop looking at someone else's road because they don't know success any more than you do. Build yours and don't get distracted. How do you do it? Well, the first thing you need to know and feel comfortable knowing is that you need to be comfortable to realize that your job, number one, number one job is to take care of you. This week's parasha is parashat acharemot. It's actually acharemot and kedoshim together. And in the parasha of acharemot, it talks about the service of the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur. And so, the Pesukim go through a lot of the service in the beginning of this week's parasha, what the Kohen Gadol did and how he did it. And it says he would bring his sacrifice. One of the first sacrifices that he would bring of the day would be v'chiper ba'ado u'ba'ad beto. He would have a kapara for himself and for his family. And you read the pasuk and you say, one second. You're here, this is Yom Kippur, you're the Kohen Gadol, in the Bet Mishkan or the Bet HaMikdash. You have the whole Jewish people riding on your back. And the first thing I need to hear about is a kapara for yourself. And then another, like a second reference to your family. How about the rest of the Jewish people? The answer is, it starts with yourself. It starts with you. You come first. Spiritually and emotionally, you come first. You need to build your strength. You need to build your spirituality. You, your road, before you worry about everybody else, before you worry about even about your own children, or your parents, or your siblings, or your spouse, figure out you. And you say, but, 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 but what do you mean? But, but, but my son needs dinner. But, but, but my husband needs, needs me to go bring something upstairs. But uh, I have a meeting with, with work and they need me at work. Or they, I, I have to run to this. And, or, or my wife needs me to do her favor. I have to run it. I know. I'm not telling you to ignore those people. But first, figure out your road. First, figure out you. Trust me, I understand how fast you can get pulled. Today, my wife blessed that, left the house for a little bit. I get a call at 10 to 2. Joey, our little son, he has, he has a teleconference in his class. He's got to get on at 2 o'clock. So I go running to the teleconference and wow, the headache. Get on the number. Get the pin number. Find it. Write it down. Sit the kid down. Get him a pen. Get him his papers. Let him sit down. Focus him. He's muted. He's not muted. Get the whole thing going. My wife's like, yeah, I do that four times a day. Just for that kid. That's what's going on in all our homes. We're being pulled like Noah in a million directions. And the problem is, 
the first direction we need to focus on is our own. What's your own spiritual direction? You heard tons of inspiration in the last seven weeks. Did you concretize it at all? Did you pick a few things that you're already progressing on? This is your focus. Even if someone inspires about something else, maybe you'll hear it, but you're not running in every direction to every tree. You're staying on your road because then you're going to progress on that road. Because this is the road that you're learning on, which means your life, you're growing, you're improving. This road is it's working. Don't jump. And emotionally, create yourself for yourself what you need emotionally. If you need time off, I keep having this conversation with my wife. I said, honey, you got to take a few hours in the day and spend it for yourself. She likes to paint. In fact, see that painting? That's hers. Beautiful resin art. I told the honey, you got to sell it. No, I said, yes. She's thinking about it. But I said, give yourself a couple hours where you paint. But what do you mean? The kid? I know the kids need. Find the two hours or the hour or whatever works for you. Go to the basement, set up your little shop, get all your stuff together and do it because it works for you emotionally and spiritually. Some people spiritually, maybe you wake up early in the morning and you Start learning early. You pray well. You learn well before the rest of the house is up. You're creating your own path. Now, there's a lot of people who feel guilty about saying this. Think about me. I have children. I have, I have a wife. I have kids. I have parents. I know. And I know you need to be there for all of them. But let me tell you a Gemara with a beautiful explanation of this Gemara. It's a famous, famous Gemara in Yuma. The Gemara says... That any person who thinks that they're going to have excuses in life, Hashem is going to have an answer. Anyone who says, I was too poor, I couldn't do anything, Hashem is going to show them, because no one was poorer than him, and look how great he became. If someone says, I have too, much, too many temptations, I, I don't know what to do, I have so many desires, Yosef Yosef is going to challenge you, Hashem is going to show you Yosef in heaven, and say, look, Yosef is Sadiq, he had temptations in Egypt, and he still succeeded. So can you. Now the Gemara says, Rabbi Elazar ben Chasum mechayev ashirim. This Rabbi Rabbi Elazar, he's the one who doesn't allow you to have an excuse that I am too wealthy. Why? Because he had a th- only inherited a thousand cities and a thousand ships, the Gemara says. And yet he found a way to lead, lead a simple life and study Torah. So I saw one commentary ask a great question. Does anyone really think that they're going to get up to heaven and they're going to say, oh, I was too wealthy, so I should be excused for not learning Torah? Does anyone think that that excuse is going to fly? I get the excuse, I was too poor. What do you want me to do? I was too poor. I was out of my control. But who would think that I can have an excuse? I was too wealthy. Sorry, Hashem, I couldn't learn. I was too wealthy. You, you, does anyone even think that would work? You need to be a Lazar ben Hasum to prove you wrong? The answer is this, and it's beautiful. Is that the wealthy man, and it doesn't just mean wealthy and money, as you'll see in a minute. The wealthy man is going to come before God and he's going to say, Listen, I'll tell you why I didn't study Torah. Because if I study Torah, I learn a page of Gemara, I barely even understand it. But if I go to work and make money, I can accomplish so much more. Because then I could give charity. I could support yeshivot and poor people. So an hour of learning for me is uh, not doing much. 
But an hour of working, I can help so many more people. So what should I choose? Obviously, I should go out and help people make more money because if I make more money, I could do so much more than my measly little Mishnah or reading the parasha that I would do if I would study. Says the Gemara, no, God says it be even though he was wealthy, he said, I still have to make sure that I spiritually take care of myself first. I must take care of me. Spiritually, me. I need to grow. I need to have my path. Of course I need to spend time on earning money and giving it to other people if I have that ability. Of course. But first, it needs to be spiritually about me. Your hour of studying Torah that you're not even going to remember is powerful and critical. Even though, oh, but I can earn my money and help poor people. That's true. Do that the rest of your time. But you need to spend time on you first. So how do you do it? I want to try to say it in a very simple way. You need to have a structured mentality like this. A, from the beginning of the week, you need to structure your week. We need to structure our week. From a Saturday night or a Sunday night, even though things are changing, things are not changing within the week. For the most part, our weeks have been the same. We're settled into somewhat of a normal week. I don't know what three weeks from now look, look like, but it's likely that I have a decent idea of what the week will look like on a Saturday night or a Sunday night. And set up your week. What are the key things you want to accomplish this week? Have some goals for the week. Have some things you want to do in the week. And then the next step is every night the night before. The night before. Don't figure it out in the morning. The night before. Give yourself three goals that you want to accomplish the next day. Not just structure, but three productive goals. I want to learn for an hour or two. I want to I work for five hours. I want to spend time with my family for a few hours. But focus on three structured and productive goals for the next day. And you know my source for this is that same Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur. Because you know that Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur? You know what they used to do? You know what they used to do? That before Yom Kippur, they would bring all the sacrifices in front of the Kohen Gadol and let him review them and see them. Why does he have to review them now? Let him review them that morning. The answer is when you have it in your brain from the day before, you hit the ground running. You know what your plan is for today. You know what your basic, your basic three focuses of the day are. Now let me be honest. All likelihood is even if you listen to everything we just said, you'll never have a perfect day. Perfect doesn't happen. Perfect has completely left the building. When there's no normal, there definitely is no perfect. And there's things that are still going to pull you in different directions. Got it. Understood. But if you at least have those three focuses, that becomes your guiding light. And that becomes what keeps you sane. What keeps you in your lane and not jumping to every person's comment. And then, so first it's your week, then it's your day. And then we need to develop a mentality towards this. What I mean by mentality towards this is the real truth is we have no idea what life is going to look like in June, in May, June, July, August, September, and maybe even October, November, December, and maybe even beyond. So you can't just keep going all over the place. Have a mentality. I listen to Cuomo and my mother. How about that? 
How about if uh, my wife and I discuss it once a week of, or sort of what type of errands we would do, what type of errands we don't do. Don't keep remaking the decision every time, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether you could go or can't go, wet the mask, without the mask. Create yourself a mentality. Because if you're just gonna keep jumping, you'll be all over the place. You know what the best example of what, of what life has felt like today? Is Zoom. Zoom is, by the way, has been the greatest invention for Torah and productivity in the last, imagine if we didn't have Zoom in the last seven weeks, wow. But it's also such a headache. I got the number, I got the pin number. Sometimes people forget their number and they have to put it in again. And then, oh, the guy's not in. He doesn't need to get in, send them the number again. Then you have people that are on Zoom and they forget they're muted. So they're giving a whole talk and you're like, ah, you're muted. And then sometimes there's people who forget that they're unmuted. So they're screaming at their wife and you're like, hello, we're hearing you. Then there are people who get you seasick. They walk all around the house with their Zoom and you're getting a headache watching them. And then you got people that when you're Zooming with them, you get a great view of their ceiling or a great view of their belt buckle or of their shoes and you see everything but their face. And then you have Zooms where a thousand people are talking at the same time. Life has felt just like that. Hard to get traction, hard to start running on your path. But this is our responsibility now. Create a lane. And that's what the Mishnah was saying and that's how all the questions are answered. When you're on the path of life, and you already started learning, that means you have a growth path and it's real, then don't get distracted by a beautiful sight of a tree or by somebody else's growth like a plowed up field. Because if you do, your life is not going to be a life. And I'll bet you every person who's watching this or listening to this or will listen to this has had that feeling over the last seven weeks. Like... I don't know where to go. And I want to tell you why this is so powerful and so important, and then we'll conclude with the story. God says about Abraham Avinu that the reason why Hashem chose Abraham Avinu as to be the father of the Jewish people is because he's going to commend his children and his family after him to follow in his ways. And so a commentary again asks, why acharav? Why he's going to command them after him? Obviously, it's his children, his family. They continue. What does it mean after him? The answer, if you've been paying attention the whole night, is so clear. Is that once he builds himself, everything else will follow after him. I didn't mean tonight to be selfish. I didn't mean tonight to just worry about you. I meant that by you building you and strengthening you and having a clear path, you will be so much richer to help others. You want to be a great father, a great mother, a great son? Be emotionally and spiritually strong. Have a path. When you have a path, you can overflow. Of course you have to be there with each kid's Zoom and each kid's teleconference and the breakfast and the lunch and the dinner and the work and the parents. That's what we need to do today. But if you're doing it within your relative basic lane and you have a mindset and you're taking care of yourself, you can do this. You can do this. Hashem didn't bring this to us to get us off our game. 
He brought this to us for us to get much more skilled at our game. For us to learn how to play the game of life 10 times better than we ever did. Because once you create that lane, that personal lane, look, you'll watch how much powerful, how powerful you become. Let me tell you one last story and then we're done. I really want to thank you for tuning in. And I hope, and again, I want to thank iTorah for helping put this together and for streaming it on iTorah. And like we said, about an hour after the class is over, it should be up on iTorah if someone wants to listen or watch. By the way, that's beautiful, isn't it? Anyhow, okay. <laughs> My wife, uh, I might be in a little trouble right now because she just saw me say that. Anyhow, let me tell you a nice little story. And you know, part of what gets us off our game, and I want to make sure I was sensitive in how I express it, is the fact that we really do feel for so many others. Like right now, as I'm speaking to you, my uncle, my wife's uncle is in a tough situation. And we care. And we're emotional. And we're praying. And we're doing our best. Sometimes we're pulled in different directions because when we hear sad things, we're pulled by it. So I don't want in any way to act like, oh, just create your path and do you and don't worry about anybody else. But let me tell you the story that I think has such a powerful lesson. It was a young boy. Maybe he was in his teens. And yeah, he was a very athletic kid. One day, I believe he was riding a bike. He got into a major accident. And they had to amputate his left arm. Now here you take this kid, he's a great athlete, has all these athletic aspirations, and now he has no left arm. You can't play any sport without a left arm. Not, not soccer, well maybe soccer, but not baseball, not basketball, or football, or anything. So now what? Someone tells him, you know what, maybe at least train for karate. He says, okay, I'll train for karate, but what I have to lose? And so he starts to train, he's learning. And again, it's not, it's just so much you could do without an arm, but he's learning moves, he's learning this, and he has a coach, and the coach is teaching him all these different moves, all these different things to do and how to do it. Okay, great. Coach says, why don't you enter into a tournament? You know how the tournament goes, they don't literally hurt each other, but they, you pin the opponent down and you win. He says, okay, I'll enter, but I have no left arm. Coach says, I'm confident. He enters into the tournament, goes in the first round, Within a few minutes, pins his opponent to the ground, he wins. Next round, win. Next round, win. Semi-finals, win. He's in the finals. He's in an intense match, and he wins. He goes into the locker room, he's like, Coach, how'd I win? How's that even possible? I'm playing against players with two legs and two arms, and I'm missing an arm. How did I win? Coach says, calm down, let me explain. You know how I taught you all these moves? I taught you one move that is so easy to defend. Your opponent can stop you in a minute. When you do this move, it's a powerful move. It's an automatic move. But again, the, the opponent, the person you're playing against can stop you in a minute. All your opponent needs to do is grab your left arm. 
but you don't have a left arm. So you're unstoppable. You know, the truth is that so often all the Yetzirah has to do is grab our left arm. He makes so much happen outside of our home that pulls us and distracts us that doesn't even let us stay in our lane. But now we don't have that left arm. We don't have all that's going on in the streets. We don't have any invitations to weddings, sadly. We're not going to Shiva homes. We're not even going to work. Our kids aren't even going to school. So it's all happening here. We don't have a left arm. And in a lot of ways, it is a disability. And we can't wait to get back our full capacity. We can't wait to get to where normal is finally defined again. But you know what? As long as we don't have that left arm, we have a power we don't always have. That now we have the strength and we have the tools to build our own lane. So our Mishnah and all of our Pesukim from the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur and his preparation to Avraham Avinu, to Rabbi Elazar ben Hasum, all taught us this lesson that even if you have the wealth of distractions and even if you want to be like Avraham Avinu and have a major influence on the future of mankind, you need to start with you with your spiritual strength and your emotional strength. You need to start by taking care of you. Build your week. The night before, build your next day. And build the mentality of how you're going to proceed. And then build your lane and stick to it. And then maybe you'll come out of this with some clarity. And maybe normal will be a safe place again. And maybe once you build yourself, you'll start to watch the change that happens to everybody around you and how you are a gift to everybody around you because you're powerful and you're strong. You have no left arm, but you're unstoppable. Thank you.